Thanks so much for making time today to check out this episode of In the Corner. I'm joined by Parker Reavers, a 2020 Notre Dame grad. Parker, a Bengal Bouch champ in his senior season, was president of the club last year. Parker, I really appreciate your chatting today and would love for you to kick things off by telling everyone what you've been up to these days. Awesome. Um, thank you, Matt, first and foremost, for doing this podcast. It's been a treat the past couple of months to listen to what the girls program is doing, what the guys are up to, and just a nice way to stay in the loop. Currently, I'm in San Francisco. I am working for a healthcare bank there, which I, I absolutely love. I think the companies that we're working for are really inspiring. The stuff they're working on is very relevant, and I've just been learning a ton. It's been exciting, pretty fast paced, but I really couldn't imagine a better way to spend kind of this earmark in history of COVID, just learning a lot in like a totally new environment and location surrounded by some incredible friends. Well, good for you. And, I, and I've got a note that I believe you are the first podcast guest who's recording their episode while wearing a hat. It just struck <laughs> me that uh, fortunately, fortunately for me, we do not have the video accompany the podcast uh, interview. Fortunately for the podcast listeners. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but so we've got, we've got some really good ground to cover today. And so let's jump right in with the beginning of your Bengal Bouts journey. Why did you join Bengal Bouts? So I joined Bengal Bouts really for two reasons. One, my dad always spoke about one of his friends from right after college who he lived with in Chicago. I don't really know his name, but he always spoke really, really highly of this guy who used to fight in Bengal Bass. And I was like, yeah, this guy's a badass. He's tough as nails, stuff like that. So that was kind of always in the back of my mind when I was applying to Notre Dame. Once I got there, I definitely had the premeditated intention to at least give it a try. So fall 2016, freshman year, I just remember getting my ass kicked the first workout. It was Considine and Jackson Reedy actually leading the first workout. Um, there were firemen carries, sprints across the fields. I just, remember, like, I, I, I just had never been really pushed like that, and I craved it. I've always really lived by the mantra, do what you don't want to. It's, it serves a pretty good point of inspiration and direction for like what, what I should be doing, how I should be spending my time. And Bengal Bouts definitely did that for me like right after the first practice. I didn't really play sports during high school. I did a lot of speech and debate. And so I came to university, wanted to push myself more athletically or physically. And, you know, that was, that was completely it. I, I hope for everyone's sake, at least at that point, that Jackson was not wearing his spandex as uh, folks were being introduced <laughs> to the program. I think that was his senior year where he, uh, he embraced uh, the spandex during the workouts, much to the chagrin of his fellow captains. Yeah, no, that was, uh, I remember brainstorming actually, like what, what can I do to really stand out in terms of clothing and aesthetics? <laughs> this was this is when we lived in Bangladesh, and uh, he thought about for for quite a few weeks, and that was one of the things that came up. And I remember senior year, that was the spandex were an absolute uh. staple in his attire, <laughs> for better or for worse. Uh. <laughs> I have a very strong opinion of whether that was for the better or for the worse, but. <laughs> Uh, at the, the end of your sophomore year, uh, so you mentioned you joined freshman year, you're looking to push yourself, you, you threw yourself into the program. And at the end of that sophomore year, you were named a junior captain during your junior year, 
you were active during the fall, but were abroad during the spring and so missed the tournament. Despite that, you were still named president of the club for senior year. Could you walk us through what that was like stepping into that leadership position after being abroad? No, for sure. Um, you know, I, I didn't really expect to have that leadership role. Um, I mean, I know I committed pretty hard to the women's program during the junior fall and I did my best during the guy season as well. But like you said, I was gone for the tournament itself. And so there was like a day or two, I think it was late February, maybe March, where once I heard, I was like, wow, like I've, I've really got to step it up here. And so there's a flip inside of me that really switched, I think, across two lines. One, it was like, I've got to walk in fall senior year in fight mode shape. Um, so I ended up just researching, doing everything I possibly could to even overstudy abroad and summer internship and stuff, just making sure I was in the best conditioning I could possibly be in, given the circumstance. Um, I wanted to return back to school and really set the example that, you know, I was present. I was doing my best. Um, the other thing I think was kind of the mental leadership switch. I ended up making this list of running ideas on my phone. This is the day or two after the bout started. Just like everything and anything that popped into my mind about how to improve the club, what things could change, what things worked, goals, just literally everything. I just had this massive running list I just kept for months on end. For some reason, like I was, I was just manically obsessed with, you know, how can I be the best president I possibly can be? I ended up reaching out to like protein companies to get sponsorships. I remember reaching out to guest speakers. I remember on planes, just mentally walking through what the first meeting would be like with the new captains. By April, probably, I set three goals for the club. One was like, you know, we're going to raise $200,000. Um, really kind of set a landmark year. Two, I want every single captain to make the finals. I think leading by example through your actions and kind of backing up your talk is really important. And doing that collectively is really a testament to the leadership of the club. And then number three, I wanted to raise the most money of any club member. Um, Again, just like those those three pretty diverse goals, but all kind of to the testament of we're gonna walk our talk and set a good precedent for the club. And that was that was done by April. And then just kind of obsessed over how can I make those three things happen between now and the end of the tournament. That's really interesting. I didn't know about that goal of having every captain aspire yeah. to to make it to the finals. And what strikes me as interesting as someone who got to to work with you a good bit during senior year, you weren't necessarily number one in the club in terms of boxing skill, but you may have been number one in toughness. How did that affect your approach to boxing? And if it's applicable at all to the way in which you tried to lead the club? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I first, I, I absolutely love that you asked this, this uh, question because it's completely true. I would, I would disagree, actually, that I was potentially the toughest. I think there's a handful of guys who were tougher than I was. I think there's a handful of guys who were definitely better boxers than, than I was. Um, and that was on my mind every single waking second for a lot of senior year and even the end of junior year as well. Like I, I just knew that I wasn't the best along a lot of aspects. And so to compensate for that, I guess, I, I really committed to being comprehensively obsessed with all aspects of the club. Um, you know, it was 
how can I work out as effectively as I can every single day? How can I know how we can fundraise the most? How, like I, it was just complete obsession with every single angle about the club and showing up every single day, backing your, your word through actions. It's like every, every single part of what makes the club special, whether it be knowing the managers, knowing alumni, reaching out to them, um, knowing the younger boxers, making sure everyone has a role, empathizing with coaches, empathizing with the women's captains. You know, I, I, just, I just really cared about all aspects of how the club operated. And I think that that kind of holistic approach, it turned out pretty well. Um, but like you said, I was definitely not the best in any one sort of thing. Well, that actually brings up something I wanted to, to touch on where lots of boxers really want to do well. And for many, their mentality shifts to, okay, well, I'll just simply outwork the competition and that'll be that. And I know I've been guilty of this mindset. You, on the other hand, adopted an approach to your training that was almost scientific in nature. I'd love to hear more about why you took this approach and how you believe it influenced your performance. Yeah, absolutely. The three social media platforms, which I use quite often, are Reddit, YouTube, and Spotify podcasts. I'm a fiend across all three of them because I really like when people, when like individuals, not necessarily companies, but when people go out of their way to publish content, you generally find, you can, it, you can generally filter that pretty fast and find some really sharp, interesting, really nice perspectives just because they're doing it for the good of just publishing content, not economically incentivized. So this guy that I found on Reddit named Matthew Webke, he is one of the leading CrossFit trainers in the world, actually. He's 40 years old, probably the best engine on the CrossFit circuit currently, um, or at least he used to. He kind of has this model that bigger brains equal bigger gains. He's really kind of brought a scientific approach to engine building, to you know how, how can I be, at least on the back end, the best athlete that I can be. Stuff like muscle capillary density or the glycolytic system, stuff like that. Like I didn't really consider early on, but he brings up, I've read a lot of his stuff. I reached out to him later on and him and I ended up connecting, put on a kind of a boxing game plan. I ended up rowing a lot, kind of following his own workout program. And, you know, it worked out well. I think committing to a program day in and day out, having an end goal in mind, then also just reveling and really enjoying the science behind getting tougher, getting stronger. That's important. Like you really have to enjoy the work you're putting in, in and of itself and understanding the science behind it makes it fun for me, honestly. Well, I, I know you've continued to prioritize fitness and not too long ago, you accidentally gave yourself a, a good workout going to pick up a piece of equipment. <laughs> uh, could you share that story for the benefit or at least amusement of <laughs> our listeners? Yeah, for sure. So I was on Craigslist recently and I was trying to buy a kettlebell. And like on, on Google Maps, I thought it was a lot closer than it was. So, And how heavy Sunday was night, it? Just to clarify, how heavy was the kettlebell that you were looking to purchase? 28 kilograms. Um, so it was like 60 or 70 pounds. And so it was like a Sunday night. I walked over to meet this guy. I thought it was like a mile walk max ended up being like two miles long. And so I got to the parking lot to meet this guy. And I mean, I just walked back. Like I, I walked back with the 70 pound kettlebell switching every, every single block just from, from hand to hand. 
it ended up being a really good workout. One that I didn't necessarily expect, but absolutely loved. Yeah, I remember when I got that text, I was like, that I mean, that sounds like a that sounds like a Parker Reavers workout, if I ever heard one. Uh, just very, very functional fitness. You never know uh when when life is gonna require you to transport something that's 70 pounds over the course of two miles. How that's long did that be- how long did that take kind. you? Oh, def well, definitely over an hour for sure. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Although, yeah. yeah. I was walking through some kind of sketchy parts of the city, but so my pace might have picked up here or there. But that being said, like no one's going to rob my 70 pound <laughs> kettlebell and run away with it too. Right. So yeah. it was fine. It in, was in, fun. In full disclosure, I will confess that your workout inspired me the other night. Britt had a good bit of work to do and it was a really nice night out. So I grabbed a kettlebell, went walking through our neighborhood, threw on some tunes and, uh, which I mentioned to you before, but what I didn't share is as I was walking, there was a dog that came out on this lawn and started barking like crazy and like kind of running at me and, and having gone through walks in our neighborhood before I'm aware that this particular house has like an invisible electric fence. I, I don't, I have an implicit distrust of those things. And so as I'm walking, I'm like thinking about like, if this dog, which is a fairly decent sized dog charges at me and I've got this kettlebell, like, what do I do? Like, do I, do I like <laughs> drop the kettlebell? Like, do I just like not look at the, I just keep walking with my kettlebell. Uh, fortunately I, I did not have to make a, a split second decision, but, uh, but yeah, I was thinking of thinking about you a lot as I ventured out for 30 minutes with my kettlebell. Nope. When you sent that, I was I was cheering you on big time. It's such <laughs> such a good workout. Nice, just nice way to walk around. Just I don't know, turn a podcast. Just it's 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 just a great time spend. So at this juncture of the podcast, we'll put you on the hot seat. So I've got a few rapid fire questions that I'll throw your way. Starting with favorite thing about SF. The park scene. A lot of people hang out at the parks. Most interesting thing you learned doing your thesis um wow i'm not fast on this i i just loved red smith so i wrote about red smith this graduate of notre dame second guy to win the pulitzer prize as a sports journalist and really loved his i mean he was concise and precise in his writing super casual but just hit things to the t he was so accurate really kind of reveled in life's little details. And that's kind of an approach I've been trying to take, whether it be daily life or kind of my own, my own musings, but yeah, no, definitely is an approach to life. Meal you'd most likely make for a guest. <laughs> oh, there's so much food that I make here in SF. I just, people probably would not enjoy eating. Um, I'll, I'll rephrase meal. You'd most likely make if I were visiting sweet potatoes, with peanut butter on top. Favorite activity you did in high school? Speech and debate. Summer or winter Olympics? Summer. And favorite author? Ooh, Hunter S. Thompson. Awesome. So this next question I have for you is one that is fun for me to pose because during Johnny Link's interview, I asked him about this subject. And so I think it's gonna be fun for me then to get the flip side and get your perspective now, the two of you developed a really cool friendship during the course of your senior season, one that propelled you both to greater success and one you both came to cherish. How did it start and why do you believe it grew? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's just a really important question. It's being friends with Johnny. So I mean, I, I mean, I, I always liked him. I knew of him through like freshman through junior year, but I just did not expect him to be such a best friend and such a role model during my senior year. Like I said, I was pretty obsessive with all aspects of the club early on. And once the fall season started, Johnny matched that, if not beat my intensity on a, on a, a daily basis. I remember like right after the first meeting, he started texting me with all these ideas he kind of had in the back of his mind. I was like, this kid won't stop texting me. Like <laughs> I got papers, right? I got stuff to do here. And he just kept just peppering me with ideas, this and that. But like after a few days, like it was, it was someone who really shared the same mentality and I ate it up. Like it became a dialogue where him and I, I would, I'd probably talk to him on a daily basis more than most people, more than almost anyone for sure. And then I'd also say his approach to the club. I mean, he's just energetic. He's vivacious. Like he, he really cared about the club too. And I thought that was inspiring. Like when I was down, like he was, like he was always kind of an internal question of what would Johnny do in this situation or that situation? There's a good shoulder to lean on. I remember at the end of senior year when we were graduating, like we were in front of the golden dome and I was just bawling my eyes out. Like <laughs> I, I absolutely made a best friend and I was going to see him for a while. That was a really special treat to kind of hold on to. And I mean, we're friends, friends for life at this point, I think. Yeah. But I would also add to that is Matt. I think you're also extremely instrumental in that relationship. It's, it's almost like a, a trifecta. I think <laughs> the amount that we talked to you as well. Um, I mean, you're, you're an incredible friend and another role model that I'm just consider myself super lucky to have ventured upon. Seriously. No, I, that's, I very much appreciate that Parker and that friendship among the three of us started with a, a text. I still remember, I don't know why there are certain things <laughs> that my brain latches onto, but I still remember I was in my office. It was like, 2.30 in the afternoon, I'd gotten up from I had this little desk in my office. I'd stood up and I was walking about to walk out of my office and I got a text and it was from you and Johnny was on the thread as well. And you were taking a shot at me talking <laughs> about um, some like child small shirt from the company that and seeing if they had one for me because of my pension when I'm working out, liking to wear cutoff shirts. Um, and, uh, and it was funny, like I fit for me, I think growing up that if someone felt comfortable where we could joke with one another or take shots at one another in a good natured way, it's like, then, then I feel like we've, we've got something there. And uh, yeah, and that was the first text and gosh, it's probably, probably the most active text thread that I have is the one with the two of you. Same here. Same it all, here. it all, it all started with, uh, with, with a shot at my desire to just uh, have a little bit of uh, I don't know, <laughs> be a little more aer aerodynamic perhaps during my workouts. You came back pretty, if, if, I mean, if, if, if I remember you came back pretty well in that, <laughs> that thread, like you said, if you're roasting someone, I think it's generally a good sign. If I'm going to be a boxing coach and be anywhere halfway decent, I've got to, I've got to know how to counter punch. <laughs> uh, so, um, what you and you and Johnny both ended your Bengal bouts careers in the same way by winning your weight classes February 29th, 2020, what was going through your mind when you exited the ring for the last time? I was just really content. Like I was, I was just super, super content. I mean, that 
like I said, the flip switched during the spring, my junior year and almost everything I did was kind of locked into, you know, how can we meet those three goals for Bengal bouts? And so when it was February 29th, 2020, like we were so comprehensively obsessed, I think. And we hit almost to a T all three of those goals that I just walked out just feeling just content. Like we did it. Um, we gave it our all. And that's, that's just an incredible feeling that, I mean, you can have on a daily basis doing this or that, but when it's what you do for a year straight, it was, it was just a, it just felt extremely worthwhile. Well, you certainly got to cap things off in a great manner on that night, but for you, I know Bengal bouts was always so much more than just the time between the ropes. What was your favorite boxing memory outside the ring? Yeah, there, I would say there's two. One was living in Bangladesh right after my freshman year. So I spent most of the summer with Jackson Reedy and Sri Mongol, which is about five hours north of Dhaka, which is just such, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a freshman or even a sophomore or junior and you're considering going to Bangladesh, just apply, do it. You're thrown into a world that's just the way life is, is converse to everything that we know here. It's the most densely populated country in the world. You can't go five feet without bumping into someone, it seems. It's predominantly Muslim. It's extremely hot. It's rural. The conditions are just completely different. And no one speaks English. And so having to cope with that for an entire summer is, I mean, it really forces you to be a bit tougher, you to reconsider your situation. You become really good friends with people who you live with. It's just an incredible experience. I've learned so much from Jackson. I mean, he's an electric personality. He's hilarious and extremely good storyteller. He does impressions extremely well. He's insane painter. Like he's an Instagram up still. And I've worn his pieces in my room, actually. He's, he's just awesome. He definitely functioned as a big brother, too. Like it, was, it was just an, a humbling experience, one that I'll never forget. Also with Pat for a few weeks, Pat Gordon. And he, too, like he was a big brother. He cared about the club more than anyone I've really gone to know, it seemed, at least at that point in time. He really underscored the, the idea of daily habits and doing things daily. Like he has his daily ton up. He has, like, he boxes daily still. I'm pretty sure he did it at that point in time. He had these crazy idioms, which something about like a elephant in a tree. And he was always roasting me and stuff, but <laughs> I loved it. But he's also wise beyond his years too. And like those, those two guys I just really respected, really looked up to. And just throughout sophomore year, junior, senior, even today, I'm constantly asking myself, you know, what would Jackson do or what would Pat do in this situation? Really good sources of inspiration for just years. So I, just to clarify, I think you said there was a second, there were two things. One was going to Bangladesh. I didn't know if there oh, was a second. Yeah. <laughs> if there was a second. The, <laughs> <laughs> that one was so special. Yeah, no. Um, and, and the second probably... one. I mean, there's so many, but the second one was probably workouts with you and a couple of the other captains. These would be like late Wednesday nights or late Friday nights or Saturday mornings when a lot of people are doing more social stuff or kind of spending, spending time to themselves. We had these just intense workouts and I, I just absolutely loved it. Like those, those were some of the best, most precious moments. I mean, we push ourselves so, so well, but it was just collective suffering. People really, really, really simmering in it. It was just a treat to be a part of. I remember the end of them just being physically exhausted, just, just covered in sweat, but feeling like I'd won the day. 
and doing those day like time after time on a Friday night. Like that was, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. The Friday night one in particular, that was last Valentine's day. Um, uh, Brittany was, was very kind that we, uh, we did the workout and then Britt and I went over to legends as you might recall, uh, as I was texting people, Britt and I went to see turquoise Jeep perform at legends. uh, uh, You're right. Which was hysterical. Britt and I, I, I don't know that either of us have had a a more entertaining Valentine's day in quite some time, (laughs) but, uh, with your mentioning of that group who, who worked together, one of my favorite Bengal bouts photos came after last year's finals. And, uh, it was four of the guys who had all trained together and, um, taken that photo and it's, uh, Johnny, you, Dan O'Brien and Kyle Mettler. And you've got this, this big content smile on your face. And then you have this giant, we'll say water stain <laughs> on the like left front left side of your jeans, which like, and which I think actually might be like your cover photo or something too. Yeah. But, no, uh, it's, it, I, it's, it's such a, it's such a good photo. That's the cover photo to, to Facebook. <laughs> Did, would you, like to clarify, yeah. would, you, would you like to clarify <laughs> what looks like you just in your excitement, you just couldn't make it to the restroom? What, what actually happened? <laughs> I think I was cornering someone and I spilled the water cup over my crotch. <laughs> See, I, all right, my, my recollection was that you were transporting one of the Gatorade. Uh, oh, that's actually, nugs. that's actually correct. Yeah. <laughs> both, both are, both are correct, but that was more recent to the photo. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, for those who, who may have been wondering, <laughs> let the record reflect Parker did not in fact pee himself from excitement. It's a great photo. It is <laughs> uh, one of my people, favorite people who spend time with you know that you're a thoughtful and introspective person. I'd love to hear what lessons from boxing you have applied to life outside of it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one, I appreciate that. Two, boxing is such a good direct feedback loop system. Whether or not you're in a leadership position, I mean, boxing is, it's 1v1. And if what you're doing isn't working, you're getting punched. Um, so in that sense, it's, very, it's about as closed loop of feedback system as you possibly have, which is a great learning opportunity. It allows your body and your mind to really adjust and learn from stuff. In terms of the leadership position, like as a president, when, like when you're, responsible for a club with a few hundred guys in it number of captains managers coaches like you have that very similar feedback loop where if the club's not getting better if you're not fundraising like that's extremely apparent it's extremely important to be self-critical self-reflective see what's working see what's not and adjust from there and i mean that was happening on a daily basis it was constant self-questions was how are the freshmen acting are the freshmen showing to practice are they engaging with the older guys are they talking to me are we talking to alumni what's the feedback on on facebook on instagram just all those signs if you pay attention to them they're extremely telling and notice them early on and trying to adjust over time is i mean it's, it's just invaluable and so kind of applying those things to life like just waking up it's noticing what's important it's about caring for what you're doing no matter like what what size it is i mean it's your life at the end of the day, it's 
what matters to you and really caring about stuff, taking ownership for what you're doing, and then kind of having the humility to self-correct and go from there. I mean, like life, I think is a very iterative process. If you're willing to listen to others and kind of notice the bigger picture, it, it's fun. It is. Well, you just mentioned humility. And the last question before the final round is one that I guess I'll ask you to still in your humility to, to answer this. And you could take this in a number of directions, given what you accomplished, but I'll, I'll ask you to pinpoint one thing. What were you most proud of during your time in Bengal Bouts? What was I most proud of? I was most proud that the club, when you asked initially to, or a few questions ago, how did you feel when you walked away from the ring? I was most proud that the club felt cohesive. You know, there's so much that goes into making a tournament, raising $200,000, putting on practices every single morning, every night, stuff like that. And I felt like I had a really good sense of empathy for all those bits and pieces. I had a sincere appreciation for the managers, Brennan, Hunter, Mallory, Kate, Emily, Danny, Lily, Olivia, the coaches, you, Nate, Kevin, Chad, like Eric, Sweet C, Father Daly, Mac, Mac practices. Oh my God. Lou, Annie, Brian. I got to know Greg towards the end of the season. Terry showing up every day. Matt, Coach Pete, who I got to know. Uh, Chip, who I fought actually during my senior year, during my freshman year, he kicked my ass or during quarterfinals. Uh, he ended up being a coach towards the end of the season, connecting personally with a bunch of alumni over email. Just like all, of, all these personal connections, just reaching out, hearing about how the club meant to someone who graduated in 1970, just still in their mind today. The reunion, getting to see just such an important aspect of people's life that they still cared about. The fellow captains, like they're inspiring women's captains. Like Molly Julia was another role model for a lot of the year too. Younger boxers, seeing their excitement. I mean, it just felt like the online store, seeing people talk about it. It just felt like I walked away with such a deep appreciation for a lot of the stuff that went into the club and the selflessness of a lot of other people that it just made it feel incredibly special in every single direction. And, and this kind of goes back to the leadership question you asked on initially. It was like, I'm not necessarily the best at one thing in particular, but I really had a cohesive obsession with a lot of the club. And that being able to walk away with was incredibly rewarding. Well, I mean, it's clear for anyone who knows you or now has gotten to listen to you just how much this program has meant to you. We'll wrap things up just as it was custom to start with burpees during our workouts. It's custom to always end with the final round. <laughs> Two people to give shout outs to who, who played a notable role in your Bengal Bouch journey. We put a no I mean, everyone, but you and Johnny, I mean, like, these were my best friends. Molly, workout partner, who you owe us, purely press still. We're holding you to it. And, and that is true. I let, I let the record reflect. That is not me delaying on this. There was a pandemic. <laughs> I mean, this was supposed to be paid out after the season. I have never had the opportunity, as promised, to treat for purely pressed on Eddie Street. Um, just the one anyone thinking that I'm not following through on my word here. Yeah. For, I, like, actually, for, for those listening, we uh, this workout competition and Maul and I were partners, and I called it early. I said we were, we were big favorites. People <laughs> laughed, but we ended up walking with the title. <laughs> uh, well, Parker, it has <laughs> been 
uh, yeah, it was, uh, that was, that was, a, that was a fun, fun workout. The two of you, you, you earned it. I think your team name was, was minus 150. If I remember yeah. correctly, we were after, minus 150 was generous too. Yeah. <laughs> it was a steal. It was amazing that people <laughs> wouldn't have gotten in on that bet. Could they have placed it? Uh, Parker, it has been such a blast getting to hear from you. And I, I think listeners will really, really enjoy hearing your insights. After Parker has spent so much time last year leading a successful fundraising campaign, I think it's only fitting to conclude by saying that if anyone is interested in supporting the missions, we'll have the link in the show notes. Parker, hope you have a great day. Hope everyone has a great day. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Matt. He is the boxer.